Tonight's reading from the Old Testament is Psalm 23, and it can be found on page 5 of your bulletin. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you in the mighty name of Jesus. We ask that you would speak and that we would listen. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Good evening. My name is Andrew Russell, pastoral fellow here at Grace Downtown. And today we're going to be talking about Psalm 23. It's a very familiar psalm, a psalm that you've all heard and read. It might have brought you comfort in the time of distress. Or you've heard this psalm at funerals. And so when it comes to Psalm 23, it's easy to just gloss over it, right? Because you've heard it so many times before. But tonight, I want to give a fresh perspective through the lens of rest. So let's look at it. But before I begin, I want to talk about metaphor and one of the most beautiful uh, plays, I'm not seeing the whole play, but you've seen this play. It's the play of Romeo and Juliet by William Shakespeare. How many of you have seen that play or heard it? All right, many of, okay, so most of you. So what I'm about to do, I'll just do a little snippet of the play, okay? I'm, I'm not, I, I wish I had a, a British accent like my brother over here, uh, but I'm going to try my best in a semi-Bahamian American accent. So this is act two, scene two, Romeo, Juliet, William Shakespeare. But soft, what light through yonder breaks, it is the east and Juliet is the sun. Arise, fair sun, and kill the envious moon, who is already sick and pale with grief that thou her maid art far more fair than she, but not her maid, since she is envious. Her vestal livery is but sick and green, and none but fools do wear it. Cast it off, it is my lady, oh, it is my love. Oh, that she knew she were. She speaks, yet she says nothing. What of that? Her eyes discourses, and I will answer it. And then he goes on to say, see, check this out, see how she leans her cheek upon her hand. Oh, that I were a glove upon that hand, that I might touch that cheek. Mm. My brothers, if we could write poetry like this, we would have problem with singlehood in, in, this, in this congregation. Amen? 
So I just quoted Act Two, Scene Two of Romeo and Juliet. It's a classic play of William Shakespeare. But do you see his use of metaphor? He says that Juliet is like the sun. And one of my favorite metaphors, he said, oh, that I were a glove upon that hand. So he, could, he didn't even want to touch her cheek. He wanted to touch, he wanted something to just be veiled over his hand so that he can just touch it. The, the beauty of metaphors is rich. And so when we look at metaphors, we, we're looking at word pictures. The technical definition is the metaphor is a figure of speech which makes implicit, implied, or hidden comparison between two things that are unrelated but share common characteristics. So when we think about uh, metaphor and describing God through metaphor, in our modern context, we have several metaphors for God. And you've heard it, it's especially anytime uh, you know, a sports player gets interviewed. They say, I want to thank the man upstairs. Or another metaphor is the force. Or another one could be Mother Nature. Now, King David uses metaphor to describe God, and he describes God as a shepherd. The shepherd metaphor is used throughout Scripture. Uh, Abraham is described as a shepherd. Moses is described as a shepherd. And King David. King David, we all know, is the author of Psalm 23. And he uses metaphor as shepherd uh, God is shepherd and himself and all of Israel as sheep. David describes the God of heaven and earth as a shepherd who takes care of his sheep. Now, you know, sheep are restless animals, right? They're easily frightened. They, are, they have a hard time following directions. And they're always looking out for predators. Shepherds seek to, to, to protect their sheep, and, and they provide everything that their sheep lack. And shepherds also provide rest. Now, rest seems to be elusive, especially in our culture where we pride ourselves on productivity and profit. But rest is something that comes through the shepherd. Rest is something, true rest is something that only God can provide. You know, we, we work so that we can rest, yet we can't get a handle on it. And so tonight I want to look at Psalm 23 through the lens of rest. First, I want to talk about the source of rest. Secondly, the challenge of rest. And thirdly, the goal of rest. And I want to use three word pictures, three metaphors that are in the Psalm to describe these three points. So the source of rest is in the pasture, the challenge of rest is in the valley, and the goal of rest is in the temple. Let's look at it. The first verse says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. David describes the high and lofty God as a shepherd. Shepherds don't care for sheep from a distance because shepherds in the ancient Near East actually lived among the sheep. Shepherds were so close to the sheep that you could smell a shepherd from a mile away. They smelled like sheep. And so when David describes God as a shepherd, he is talking about God's closeness to David. Because David knew God as shepherd, he knew that he would never lack anything because God would provide it all. And we know 
of God's closeness to David because of the personal pronoun, my. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is just not any shepherd out there, but he is my shepherd. You see, there are a lot of beautiful people in this room, but when I think about a beautiful woman, I only could think about one. It's Stephanie Russell. And so she might be just another woman to you, but to me, that's my woman. And, and there are a lot of beautiful kids in this room as well. But when I think of a certain set of kids named Judah, Naomi, Isaiah, and Elijah, I claim them as mine. You see, when we, you use the personal pronoun my, this is the language of intimacy. And so when I talk about rest, I'm not just talking about the absence of work. I'm talking about finding intimacy with the good shepherd, a shepherd who is so close to you that you know his voice. David knew the voice of God, and in Psalm 29, he describes God's voice as beautiful, as full of majesty. It shakes the wilderness and strips the forest bare, and it also gives the dear birth. Psalm 85.8 says that God speaks peace to his people. So the sheep know the voice of the shepherd. But yet in Psalm 23, the shepherd doesn't speak. The shepherd acts. The Bible says he causes me to lie down. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness, and that righteousness is literally right past. So true rest, if you think about it, isn't in the green pastures or the still waters. True rest is something more. It restores the soul, and it determines my destiny. Now, that might sound good and all. You know, God is a God who leads. He, he takes me by the still waters. He restores my soul. But you might say, but where is the guarantee? How do I, how do I get this type of rest? And the guarantee is in verse 3. Let's look at it. Verse 3, it says, He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Literally, this means God's reputation. True rest is guaranteed in the name of the shepherd. David is saying God is the source of true rest, and he guarantees rest by way of his reputation. You see, this is covenant language. God has a reputation of providing for his people and maintaining rest. He brought Israel out of slavery from Egypt, through the wilderness, and finally to the promised land. You see, there is no other rest than rest in the shepherd. You might look for green pastures, but, you, but even after you look for greener pastures, you'll never be satisfied. You might seek and long for still waters, but even when you get to the still waters, you'll still be thirsty. You might even say, you know what? I know my own destiny. I will find my own path. But something inside of you says, I feel somewhat lost. You see, when God is your shepherd, you lack nothing. All you want to do is be his sheep. 
And when you are in the flock of God, he guarantees his services by his covenant faithfulness. That means God's promises will not fail and his work on your behalf will be constant. Now, you might think the story should stop here, right? So the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leads me beside the still waters. He restores my soul for his name's sake. But the story doesn't stop there. There is a challenge when it comes to rest. You see, rest never comes easy if you're a sheep. Sheep are always frightened. They're just fidgety animals, and they're frightened in and of themselves. And so when you add the, the, the disturbance of predators in the darkness, they even get more paranoid. And so nevertheless, the def- shepherds defends the sheep and guides the sheep, the Bible says, in the valley of the shadow or de- of death, or literally in, in the Hebrew it means the deep, dark valley. If deep darkness is what the psalmist is talking about. And the shepherd proves to the sheep that they could have rest even in the darkest valley. You see, we can be confident in God's ability to, God's ability to defeat our enemies seen and unseen. We have enemies we cannot see. The Bible says in Ephesians six twelve, for we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil that are in the heavenly places. You see, our predators are not only in the dark places, in the valley, but they're also in the dark places above us in the heavenly place. So what does God do? How do we find true rest? We have predators all around us in the valley and in the heavenly places, and true rest seems to be under attack. But true rest is always under attack because true rest must be fought for. You see, in order for us as Americans to live in relative peace, we need the Army, the Navy, the Marines, the Air Force, we need the FBI, we need the CIA, we need police officers, and we need Homeland Security. You see, these organizations, they fight for our rest, yet the enemies we have in the heavenly places are so numerous that none of the aforementioned organizations have enough weapons to defeat them. Think about this, when when you can't sleep and it seems like the night terrors are just relentless, you just can't call 911. When you're overwhelmed with depression and it seems like the medication doesn't work, you just can't call up the FBI. When, when you're contemplating suicide and you feel like you're one disaster away from ending your life, you can't just call up the CIA. Only the good shepherd can deliver you from these things because the Bible says his rod and his staff comfort us. So the rod, it literally means his club. So he's beating away the the predators in our lives. If you are a sheep of the good shepherd with his club and he guides us through the deep valley with his staff. Now, you might ask the question, How do we know that God has defeated our worst enemies? Well, the answer is in verse 5. Let's look at it. Verse 5 says, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil and my cup 
overflows. And this is literally a banquet table. You see, the shepherd, after beating our enemies with his club and guiding us through the dark valleys, he puts on a kingly crown and he celebrates his victory by giving a feast when all we knew was grass. He gave us an overflowing cup of wine when all we knew was river water. You see, the shepherd is now the kingly host who gives us the cup of satisfaction. That's what it literally means when he said that overflowing cup. It, it, in, in the Hebrew, talks about the cup of satiation, of satisfaction. You see, this is the cup of true rest. Now, what is the reason for this? What is, what is the goal of all of this rest? You take me, uh, he, he, God takes us on a journey through the pastures. He, he takes us through the valley. But then the goal, the Bible says in verse 6, it says, his goodness and mercy follows me or literally pursues me as I reach the temple of God. You see, the goal of rest is to dwell with God forever and ever. I want to read to you Hebrews uh, chapter 4. You can turn in your Bibles if you have it. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 through 16. So when we think about this rest, right, this, this rest that God has, what does is, what is true rest look like? I'll read it for you. Hebrew says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of the Lord is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And the Bible goes on to say in verse 14, Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And the final verse, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace and help in time of need. You see, God gives us rest not only because he is the good shepherd, and we read this in John chapter 15, but he is also the perfect sheep. That's what Hebrews 4 is talking about. Hebrews 4 says the guarantee of rest that we have is because Jesus Christ, our great high priest, went into the temple and was sacrificed for our sins so that we could dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. You see, Jesus walks the path of righteousness into the valley of death and comes out not only alive, but crowned with divine victory and majesty so that the rest of us can walk in those same paths. You see, a lot of times we think about the sheep and the shepherd, and you're like, who am I in this story? And we might say, yeah, I'm a sheep. I don't, I don't, uh, or you might say, yeah, I want to be the shepherd, right? I, I want to be the one who's in control. I want to be the one who makes my own path, who, who finds my own destiny. I don't want to be a sheep because sheep have to be controlled by a shepherd. Sheep have to be led and guided. I want to do what I want to do for myself. I don't need a shepherd. 
I want to be the shepherd. But here's the beauty of this psalm. The beauty of this psalm is not only is God the good shepherd, and Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, but he is also the perfect sheep. God doesn't tell you to go to any place that he hasn't been through. God has been through the darkest valley. He has been to death, hell, and back. And he has given us his Holy Spirit as a guarantee so that when we walk through the same path that Jesus led for us, that we have his Holy Spirit. You see, God's Holy Spirit leads us and guides us and restores us and fights for us and gives us rest. Jesus shows us the path because he has already walked through it. And he invites us to walk in the path with him to the place of eternal rest with God. As, as I close, let me ask you these three final questions. Do you have this kind of rest? Are you willing to follow the good shepherd? Are you too tired to follow the path of the perfect lamb? Well, if you are, then call on the Holy Spirit. The same spirit that led all of God's sheep into the presence of God, the same spirit that led Jesus into the wilderness, and the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. You see, this is Pentecost Sunday, and my brother Jeremiah spoke of it. He spoke of Pentecost. The reason why Jesus left, the Bible says it was expedient for him to leave so that he could send us his Holy Spirit. And so a lot of times we say, Andrew, Andrew, you know, I, I hear what you're saying. You know, I want rest, but how do I get it? Well, the Bible says call on the Holy Spirit. Because if you call on him, he will lead you, he will guide you, he will give you rest. Because he did it for Jesus. He led Jesus through the wilderness and he rose Jesus Christ from the dead. And the Bible says in Romans 8 that if you are a sheep, if you are a member of God's family, if you call God the heavenly uh, father, your God and your father, then that same spirit lives inside of you to give you rest not only in the pastures, not only in the deep, dark valley, but give you rest in his presence. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for the rest that you give us. We thank you, Lord, that we could call upon you, that, that you have taken us to a place that you've been before, so that when you ask us to be holy, when you ask us to, to walk the way of righteousness, when you ask us to trust you in the deep, dark valley, we could look at your son Jesus as an example. One who, yet fully God and fully man, went through the path for our sake, suffered and was slain, so that we can have eternal rest, so that we can have perfect fellowship with you. Lord, send your spirit tonight and give us rest by the power of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen.